Welcome into episode 70 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I'm happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how are you? I'm doing well, Jack. How are you? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I've been better. I got it. I got to be honest. So I didn't expect to be talking to you so soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's where the, the the confusion lies. So we recorded an episode last night, Sunday evening, uh, basically diving into all these issues, the Kentucky basketball's loss to North Carolina, what happened, the, you know, all the craziness with John Calipari coming out for the post-game presser looking like he had just gotten in a rock fight, um, Keon Brooks being sent out, some of the other roster stuff going on. But it was a an, an in-depth look at everything going on. Uh, and then, <laughs> little did we know, before we could even uh, before we could even upload the first uh, the, the the first run at this, uh, can John Calipari decides to send Cameron Fletcher home for uh, what should be a pretty interesting Christmas on their on, on their behalf. Um, so we we had to add another little uh, little segment in here to talk about what's going on with Fletcher and and all of that stuff, and then we're going to keep. The other, I mean, we talked for an hour and a half uh, the last night, so we're going to keep that part and put that at the end. So, uh, be, be, a lot of a lot of good stuff. All of that still remains true, and and nothing's really changed. We didn't even really get to talk about Cameron Fletcher all that much anyway. So, uh, should be should be good enough to leave as is. But yeah, Sean, we had to talk about what the heck just happened. So before we even get rolling with it, I will read John Calipari's quote. Um, and it was Sean. Both of us, when we talking to we, to one another, we've never heard Calipari talk this way about any of his players ever. And I mean, we've gone through quite a Green transferring out of the program, Khalil Whitney transferring out of the program. We've had you know the Ashton Hagen situation when he had to step away from the team last season. There, I mean, there were a bunch of bunch of different examples, but none come close to this. So, Sean, this was the full quote. We have asked Cam Fletcher to take some time and step away from the team. He needs to reflect and do some soul-searching to get his priorities in order. Any attitude or actions that are detrimental to this team will not be tolerated, and that goes for everyone on the team. We have a culture here that's been built over the last 11 years, and it will not change. All of that in quotes, uh, or in, in caps. Uh, through good times and bad, this culture is meant to ha change individuals and change maturity levels. This hurts our team, but this is about Cam and his future. I talked to Cam and his mother, uh, and they know I care about him and I love him, but they also need to understand that there are changes that need to be made. It's his job to, to decide whether he can perform within his, this culture both on and off the court. Wow. Sean, what, what was your first reaction whenever you read that quote for the first time? Well, Cameron Fletcher is getting cold for Christmas when it comes from John <laughs> Calipari. Uh, no, and I, I said this. You're going to hear this at, toward the end of this episode about the only thing I said on the pre-recorded part was that Cameron Fletcher apologized on Sunday, and I thought it was good, even though I said he didn't have anything to apologize for. Well, Jack, uh, maybe maybe I was wrong because that was so out of character from John Calipari today that I'm just going to assume that whatever happened – late in that game Saturday maybe had been happening before Saturday and it finally happened and kind of came to a head 
late in that game. And then whatever happened after that game must have been really, really bad. And I think now we can kind of figure out why it took John Calipari more than 20 minutes to get to a Zoom. He's typically, especially when they lose, Jack, he's in there and he's out in a hurry. This was this one wasn't rushed. Keon Brooks came to the table. I think this kind of sheds some light on why that happened. Uh, do we ever see Cameron Fletcher at Kentucky again? I mean, obviously, when he has that apology and stuff yesterday, I mean, surely there. I, mean, I think there's a door there. But then again, even Cal says it at the end that there's a door there. With uh, you know, he has to decide if he can, you know, do the things that this program requires you to do, both on and off the floor. But this is so out of character that when you sent me that tweet this morning, I had to check and make sure that it was actually John Calipari's Twitter account. I saw the blue check mark and I said, "That's no way." I, and then I saw the account, the followers, and I'm like, "Okay, this I cannot believe this is real." But Jack, I, are we really surprised though? No, and that is the all right. So we've talked about this in passing we've kind of hinted at it on the show you've we, we we've talked about this off the um off the record you know just in in our own little conversations the Cameron Fletcher recruitment and his addition to the um to the Kentucky basketball program when he did commit it was a very polarizing one um this is a kid that uh Got to be honest, talking to people around his AAU program, talking to people that have dealt with him in the past and have had him on uh, on his uh, on their teams in the past. Got to be totally honest. I've said this on this show in the past. I've said it on on a couple different outlets that I've I've been on that there were a lot of people out there that said when he committed to Kentucky that he will not make it. They said he will be transferring within the year. He, they, you know, they were saying stuff like he's not built for this. His, you know, the, He's had some locker room issues in the past. This is something that was a very well-known thing in recruiting circles going into it. And that's part of the reason why I've gone on this show so often rooting for this kid because it seemed like everybody – and their mother was not out to get him, but that they that they were doubting his fit here at Kentucky and didn't think that this would be a long term match. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to trust Cal's judgment on this. I think that uh, I think it is going to be a match. I, I like what he brings. I like his energy that he brings on the floor. I like his uh, you know that he that he works his butt off on defense. I, I have always kind of had a soft spot for Cam Fletcher because of how much. The, how much people have doubted him and how many quotes I've gotten from people that are like, yeah, he's done. There's no way he's going to make it. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I kind of want him to prove everybody wrong. So got to be honest, it's disappointing that this has kind of developed the way it has. It's sad because, again, I, I've been rooting for him. I, this is the exact opposite thing that I, I wanted I, I didn't want his career to unfold this way uh, and and I don't want to write him off and say that you know he's a done done deal that he's transferring all that I mean the like Sean like you said that the Cal stressed that there is an avenue for him to be to come back to the program and he very well might I, I tried calling his mother Tamika right before we recorded this just to see if I could get some uh, added context um, she's been really good with me she's she's been great about getting back with me and we've talked a, ho- a whole bunch so I'd assume if and when sh- their camp is ready to talk uh, we'll we'll get the we'll get their side of the story and all that but as of right now um, knowing what I know and knowing what we know going into his recruitment going into his time at Kentucky Sean this is not a massive surprise unfortunately no, and, and it's alarming. Uh, 
that in 12 years at Kentucky, John Calipari has never put out an aggressive tweet like that when it comes to a player. Uh, we've seen aggressive tweets from Cal when it comes to, you know, members of national media saying things about the kids or saying things about the, the team or something like that, but never about an individual kid. And I see a lot of people that are throwing it out there and saying that this is Cal taking the kind of Cal taking the bullet in this situation. And it probably is right now, Jack, because Cal's the one that's getting the criticism from this, not Cameron Fletcher. We don't know the entire situation of exactly what went on in the recent days or even leading up to Saturday or yesterday. But I do know that if he left on Sunday and that tweet came out yesterday, did he send that tweet out while he's sitting at the airport ready to fly home? Uh, because then, <laughs> then it kind of makes you wonder and everything, uh, not, you know, Fletcher's tweet of his apology and stuff, Yeah, but Let's say this. You and I were together at Florida last year to close the season. We knew that things were going on with Ashton Hagens that week, but there's a significant difference with this. Ashton Hagens had a bad – there was some there were some things that were bad looks. He obviously was arguing with a teammate, and then the Snapchat videos and stuff that surfaced as well. But John Calipari played that off as, as Hagens was back in Lexington kind of resting and getting ready for the postseason. It wasn't an aggressive approach. This is totally out of character for what John Calipari typically does, and that's what really is alarming about the whole situation that makes you wonder, is, is Cal losing this locker room? Is Cal losing this team? And this kind of seems like a last-ditch a effort to be like, this is my program. We're going to do it this way. This culture is not changing. And that seemed to me like that was a lot of aggressiveness from Calipari this morning. It was. I mean, it, it really – really was and I, I I hate to do it, it's so hard to cover a, a recruitments of these kids and follow their individual basketball careers especially at the high school level because you you hear think that you hear things that favor the kids and every single program wants to highlight their kids and and put them on a on a positive platform and and everybody wants their kids to to succeed um but this team in particular there were several players on the team that had some level of red flag going into the going into it uh, in terms of hey Cal might need to coddle this kid a little bit more than others and I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying this is Fletcher I'm not saying this is anybody in particular I'm, I'm, I'm not going to throw a kid under the bus but there were multiple players in this recruiting class that had some level of 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 hey this his he he's a little bit emotional sometimes you got to stroke his ego just a little bit to you know the, there was a little bit of that going into this year and me knowing Cal and how he always just makes things work and he wouldn't take on a kid that he wasn't able to do that and and I I've I, I know he's had conversations where he has said that he was ready for this moment. I've I, I know of specific conversations that he has had where he has said he has acknowledged that yeah this is a little bit of a different group um, might have to do some different things with them, but I always just assume that the, that it wouldn't be a long term issue that that he'd be able to get this figured out right away because that's just what he does. Um, but it's very obvious that some of those old issues, old habits are, are long-term ones. We've, and, and very specifically with Cameron Fletcher, this is something that we have, we've heard in the past. This was a very common theme. Um, 
and it's just it just sucks. It really does. I, I, and I hate that Cal kind of aired some of the team's dirty laundry. It would have been very appropriate, I think, for him to just say, "Hey, um, we have some internal stuff going on. We're, we, we've temporarily asked Cam to to well, go spend time with his family, and we're going to leave it at that. Please understand that we're well, that we want some privacy here." I, I thought <laughs> that would have been appropriate. Sorry, go for it. No, yeah, I was just I was just saying well, that, that would have been an appropriate. I was going to say it just that's the whole part that's out of character to me was this isn't the first time kids have left. This isn't the first time that kids have left mid season. I mean, Khalil Whitney last year, it happened on a Friday right before the team flew out to Texas tech. And then quad a green, it happened right at between uh, Seton hall and North Carolina mid season. But yet those players got, a positive message in post-game pressers and they got a tweet that was talking about, you know, I'm here for this kid. Uh, I would t- even Johnny Juzang when he left after the season and stuff this past year, this was just so different. And I'm wondering Jack, if it was different because of what happened on national TV on that bench. And here's the thing. Fletcher did get up and leave after that. Yes. I don't know if that was from Rob taking him back or what, but there is video late in the game. Terrence Clark, you can read his lips. Derek Terry uh, was talking to me about this this morning, and he said Cam left like like in shock. Yes. And then Terrence turns around, and you see Terrence just kind of throw his arms up in the air on the bench, and then Cal turns around and looks like he doesn't have any clue what's going on. So is that why this tweet was aggressive? Is because it showed up on national TV, and it wasn't something that was just internal. Everybody kind of knew something was wrong. Do you think that maybe played into it a little bit? Yeah, I'm sure it's an embarrassing look for the program to have your one of your your players sitting there on national television bawling his eyes out, needing needing and the a, the UK strength coach to to put a towel over his head and, and calm him down a little bit. Like that's not a good look for anybody. It didn't matter if it was if it were a, the water boy, you know, whoever it was. It's not a good look to have a player sitting on well, your bench bawling his eyes out. It's just not. No, it's not. And we've seen in the past. We've seen Terrence Jones. We've seen John Calipari. Ask him what in the f he's doing. Yeah, and and you didn't see Terrence Jones, you know, breakdown. And then we've seen uh, Tower Hero. I was sitting in Knoxville the, a couple years ago when they were playing there and got absolutely just ripped into right in front of everyone, even on the TV cameras. But this is also a time, Jack, where you know we we talk a lot about mental health, yeah, and things like that. Dude, and yes. certainly, and, and that's the other side of this. Maybe I'm not saying there's something there. I mean, these kids are. These kids are mentally fragile right now in a time like this. But at the same time, this tells me that there's deeper issues than just what happened on that bench Saturday during that game like, and what happened in that locker room. This, this is something that I think maybe has been bullying to the point that it finally just came over, just boiled over Saturday. And I think that Cal is kind of with the one and five record and the frustration and look like you said he looked like he'd been in a rock fight when he came out to the Zoom press conference. It looks like a guy that's over it, and maybe this is a reaction to say, you know what, I'm over this. Yeah. And if there's more than one, I think this is kind of Cal. And that's why I'm not ready to just bash Cal for this, because we don't know the full story. Right. We have a history that tells us this isn't how Cal does things, which is why I'm honestly right now leaning a little bit towards maybe there's a reason why Cal did what he did this morning and tweeted what he said. Maybe he was trying to get ahead of something. I don't know. But the fact that this isn't – that's out of character for him, 
I'm going to give him a pass on this and how he handled it just because this hasn't been who he is, which tells me this was really bad. And I don't want, and I'm going to not add any context to this, but Drew Franklin, Sean, I don't know if you were listening to KSR this morning, but Drew said on the, on the radio show that Fletcher was seen at the airport on Sunday at some point and was overheard talking loudly about the team and about players and about that, that he was airing his grievances out on for the world to hear. And I don't know if that got back to Calipari or, or whatever the case was, but I mean, I'm not adding anything to that story than, than what was already put out there earlier today, but that's not a good look either. And and I'm sure that, that Cal is just kind of looking at this whole situation and going, look, we are headed the wrong direction. There's way too much out there right now. Um, you know, he, he, he is the first person to tell you that he likes to handle things internally and keep things in house. But I mean, when there's so, when, when you, when you have a player on live TV, bawling, sobbing his eyes out, and and you could see players arguing back and forth, and, and arguing with with Coach Cal and and Cameron Fletcher leaving uh, leaving to go to the locker room. When you see all of that on national television, on CBS and the CBS Classic, with so many eyes on your game and on your team, especially a one in four team at the time uh, that was on its way to to one in five at the end of that game. I mean, that's you can't keep things in house at that point. I mean, that's all, all the dirty laundry is already aired out. I just, I just, well, yeah, it's wow. It, it is. And I'll, and I'll tell you this too. Let's just say that there's more than one, you know, if, if let's say that Cal's in a power struggle right now uh, with this team and, and Jack, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. I mean, there's a lot of egos right now. There's egos with any, group of freshmen in college basketball. And that's the thing that Cal's been so good at over the 12 years is getting these egos in check and getting them to mesh. Uh, 2013, it just, it didn't work out. And so far this year, you kind of see it not working out. There's, there's a lot of selfish basketball and a lot of selfish things going on right now. Could this be Cal saying, and not trying to use Cameron as an example, but whatever happened must've been really bad. Could this be Cal saying, look, this is how it's going to be. If you don't like it, you can join or you can go home. Yeah. Or I'm looking at it along those lines. And, you know, Derek Terry, uh, my co-host on Kentucky Daily, just now texted me, and he brings up a good point. And I, I don't know if he'll want me to say this or not, but I'm going to say it. It's not bad. He said, should we take anything from Fletcher being the only guy who went to B.J. Boston's breakfast club? But that's That's a question I was about to ask you. It, it seems like he is the one that, that – has been trying to show a little bit extra in practice or, or going out of his way to impress Calipari about getting more playing time. Maybe this is, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a very fair question. It is. And here's the other side of this. And you and I talked about this the moment it happened and the moment against Kansas that he didn't play much. He comes in with a ton of energy against Moorhead State. But here's the thing. No one has looked the way they did against Moorhead State since. But he's starting the next game, Jack, which makes us think, you know, shoot, Cameron Fletcher's better than what we all thought he was going to be. Yeah. But even Cal said after the Moorhead State game that he had never seen that from Fletcher. So why did he start him in the second game? And then since then, his minutes have just gone the other direction, which now he has made significant defensive mistakes. I've hammered on that on this podcast, other platforms as well. But 
you have a situation with a kid who kind of hearing, you know, what his place was in this program long-term. If we were hearing those things, Jack, you know, he was hearing those things. Yeah. Uh, and then you get in a situation where you get there and then it starts going the other direction. These kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. It's hard. But at the same time, even when it's hard, you can't let your emotions get the best of you in that setting and that situation. We've seen a lot of kids go through a lot of stuff at, at Kentucky the last 12 years. Uh, this fan base, it, it's brutal. It, it's rewarding and it's brutal all in the same thing, all in the same time. But we've seen a lot of kids struggle and struggle their way through this. And we've never seen anything like that happen that we that happened on the sideline Saturday. Yeah. And, and that's something that we've said on this show. We, we were very concerned and, and, and confused about why Cal was willing to trust Fletcher in the starting lineup and give him significant opportunities very early in the year and then go from, what, 19, 20 minutes in in the first – in like game two and game three, I believe, or whatever the case was, to go from that to like one minute, zero minute, to just go from, from all those opportunities in the world to none – I mean, we, we just talked about that. I mean, these are these are hard times for these kids. Giving Fletcher that level of confidence, like, hey, my coach believes in me enough to put me in the starting lineup. He thinks that I'm good enough to to help this team from the tip off. Like that that gives a kid like Fletcher a, a confidence boost. So they're like, okay, if Cal has that level of confidence in me, then then I can I, I can give him what he, what he's looking for. And to take that away just two games later, I mean, he went from starting and then two games later he finished a game with, I believe, one minute. Or maybe even it was even zero, but I believe it was one minute. You, I mean, that just that just screws with a kid's confidence and, and what he thinks he can bring to the table. It's like, all right, well, obviously I did something wrong, and he has, and we've talked about that. We've addressed some of, some of those issues. But, I mean, talk about a just way to uh, pull a rug out from, from a kid. I mean, goodness, just, hey, here's, here's your big opportunity. You're going to start for us tonight. You're going to get uh, all the opportunities you're ever looking for tonight. And then two games later be like, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't need you right now. Well, and and Matt Jones and Matt Jones brought up a really good point on Twitter this morning. I didn't get to listen to the show, but I saw Matt's tweets. And Matt was talking about. I'll read Matt's tweet. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, While there's no doubt that whatever is going on with UK basketball isn't good, I wouldn't say Calipari is in the wrong until we know what happened. Very good point by Matt, and the exact same thing that I'm trying to say now. And then he says Calipari is never critical of a player when he leaves, going back all the way to Ryan Harrow. That is important. I 110% agree with Matt on that, Jack, because that's the situation that I'm looking at is Ron Harrell went through a lot at Kentucky. Uh, I know you and I, neither one were in media then. We were fans of the program. We didn't know the ins and outs of what exactly was going on at the time. But that's a very good point that Matt makes, that this this program has seen some lows and never led to a tweet like that from John Calipari. Like I said, you can go back and look at every single player that's left this program at any point under any circumstance. Uh, I mean, let's let's face it, Khalil Whitney didn't pack his own bags and walk out last year. Someone came to get him. Yeah, and you and you saw Cal react to a positive way. This this wasn't this was positive, but in the in the positive, there was a lot of criticism and a lot of it's on you to get this figured out whether this turns out to be a positive or not. Yeah. Like, that's the part that I'm looking at. And here's the thing. Cal will talk tonight on his radio show, hopefully. This is a radio show tonight 
Jack, that it doesn't need to be Tony Barbie. It doesn't need to be Joel Justice. It doesn't need to be anyone else. It needs to be John Calipari. And if you're going to be that open and transparent with a tweet, he needs to be open and transparent tonight and let team and let fans know what's going on. Like the thing that I'd like to hear from Cal right now is they're one and five and things aren't okay. Like, I just want to hear that. Like, I don't want to hear the, you know, we're going to, everything's fine. Well, they'll get it figured. No, like, let's say what it is right now. Cause it's not good. And let's see where it goes from here. Does this be one of those things that kind of makes this team come together and say, all right, guys, uh, I don't want to be the next one that's down. I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to get this thing right. Does this have a quad a green type response? Not saying quad a green was a problem on that team, but the team rallied after that. They rallied after Khalil left the team last year, not saying it was Khalil's fault because his minutes were pretty much gone by the time he left. Yeah. It's just, what does the team morale look like when this, when this is over with, you got a bunch of new guys. Keon's not out there yet. Who steps up and, and kind of change the, changes the tide right now i don't know well that is a fantastic segue into the second part of our show where we spend like an hour talking about the dante allen situation and and why cal said what he said during the post game and whether there's an opportunity for him and and just all the all the ins and outs of that we go very very in depth on that we get very passionate very very uh i don't think I don't think our listeners have ever heard either of us like that on our show, on this show in uh, the past. So, Keely said I was screaming last night, <laughs> driving down the highway. Yeah, she was. She, she's like, I don't know why you were talking so loud. Well, <laughs> so. It was. It was. It was deserved. We we uh, we had our little vent session. It was fantastic, and I hope our listeners uh, enjoy it. Give us some feedback. Uh, we uh, we we always appreciate it. Enjoy the second half of our episode. I am happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. I wish you were under better conditions, Sean, uh, but I am very appreciative of your time. Currently uh, currently moving at 80 miles per hour on the interstate here towards Chicago, Jack, so I'm, I'm moving right along right now, but Kentucky basketball is certainly <laughs> moving in the opposite direction and uh, definitely got to get some things figured out very soon. Oh yeah. Okay. So we <laughs> we spend the whole preseason hyping this team up, talking about man, we've seen these guys in person. All these individual players are so talented, and oh man, this is going to be such a fun season. We're looking forward to it after a year of chaos and controversy, and just just uh, man, think about how much we were begging for these sports to come back for so long. And then it's like the the sports karma people, the the sports karma gods looked at us and they were like, "Oh, okay, you want sports back? Pretty bad, huh? All right. Well, here's here's this Kentucky basketball season, and uh, here's a four and six Kentucky football season. How about that? Uh, it's going to be historic. <laughs> that Kentucky basketball season is. Little did we know, we were going to be going back to. Uh, our ancestors' days. So, <laughs> on that note, Kentucky falls seventy-five to sixty-three to North Carolina to move to one and five on the year. Which, Sean, it's the worst start for Kentucky basketball since the nineteen twenty-six twenty-seven season when Basil Hayden was the head coach. Sean, did you know that Basil Hayden Basil Hayden was the head coach at Kentucky uh, before Adolph were up? I never expected to, to write that name at any point in my time as a, as a journalist. But I'll, I'll tell you this much. Uh, he's probably rolling over in his grave right now 
because even he knows that this isn't acceptable for Kentucky basketball standards. So I, I looked him up. I, I think he average. I think he finished with a total coaching effort of. Let me let me just double check. He finished his coaching career with a with an eleven and fourteen uh, record overall uh, in in his time. At Kentucky, he was at Kentucky Wesleyan from 1922 to 23. George Rogers Clark High School from 23 to 26, and uh, he coached his butt off at Kentucky from 1926 to 27. And that year uh, was when they, the last time they had that one and five start. And uh, so it's pretty obvious Basil Hayden may not have been able to coach a lick, um, but he sure as hell knows how to make a good bourbon. And in fact, I poured myself a good little glass of that in honor of our show tonight just because you know sometimes it's necessary um it, i can't do that at the moment <laughs> yeah i i'm very glad you aren't but i will you will you will have a podcast partner if i do it. <laughs> <laughs> i will make sure that that i have my fill uh, in, in your honor since since you can't so yeah Kentucky Falls, 75-63, and what a loss it was. This was the one game that I think we all kind of looked at. Uh, It was a last-second change from UCLA to to UNC, and we all had our doubts. We all said, okay, UNC has elite front court players. They they kind of – Kentucky – Olivier Saar, Isaiah Jackson, they they obviously have a a tendency of fouling out and – and playing a little bit too soft, or it's very, very tough to explain. They were what UNC brings to the table is the exact opposite of what Kentucky needed at this point in time. And looking through the scouting reports, we did a bunch of them on KSR. We've talked, we, you guys talked about it on the Kentucky Daily podcast. Everybody and their mother knew exactly what UNC brought to the table going into this game. And they played right to the script of this game. Yeah, we knew that they couldn't shoot worth a lick. We knew that their guard play was okay. Uh, Young freshman, young five-star freshman, they turn the ball over a little bit too much, but they can't shoot all that well. Uh, But they they really rely on their front court play. I mean, literally, the the game went exactly the way the the scouting report kind of played into it. And it was just – it was something that I I don't think any of us – really thought – you kind of look at that game and you go, okay, they, they had that such strong comeback effort against Notre Dame the week before. You, you look at this and you go, okay, yeah, this, seem, this seems like a game that their backs are up against the wall. They need some level of momentum. they got to get back in the win column. It, it, it just felt like a game that going into it, they could pull it off. And they didn't. They played exactly to the scouting report, the exact script that Notre, that, that North Carolina was looking for, and came out, punched, got punched in the mouth, and uh, came away with a 12-point loss to move to 1-5 and five on the year. So, Sean, a lot to take away from that game, plenty of emotions, plenty of uh, criticisms. Where do you start? Well, in a year where you want a lot in – a, in a year where you want a lot of negatives uh, – you just don't want them where Kentucky has them right now, Jack, just because there's – I mean, there's just a ton of negatives across this team and across this roster, across the, what's going on, not just on, on the players' perspective, but I think there's a lot of questions right now of everybody's trying to find themselves, including the coaching staff. And yesterday it was an opportunity to, to pick up a quality win against a ranked opponent, and 
Instead, they fall to a five-game losing streak, which is the longest of the John Calipari era. I know they had the four-game losing skid a couple of seasons ago with Shea Gilchrist-Alexander and that team, but this one just feels significantly different, Jack. Just, uh, I don't know. Like, right now, I'd just be happy if Kentucky makes it to the NCAA tournament. And I, I know that sounds crazy, but right, what body of work do they have right now? And, you know, this is the year where the committee is going to look at the eye test. Because we still don't know what's going to happen. What if Kentucky has a week or two weeks of games that are canceled that don't get rescheduled? Then you're losing opportunities. And this is the year, like I said, where they're going to look at body of work. And right now, Kentucky doesn't have – they just have a body. They have no work. Yeah. I mean, you you go down the the box score of of that game. Kentucky shoots 3 of 13 from 3, good for 23%, uh, 39% from – from the field, 21 of 53. They turned the ball over 16 times, only eight assists. Um, I mean, th- there's there's really not a whole lot to like uh, about uh, about that game. I guess let, let's start with the positives from from that performance because you do want to give credit to where uh, give credit to where credit is due because I thought Lance Ware provided minutes to Kentucky, especially, and that was the most frustrating part of it is. You knew 100% going into the game, hey, North Carolina is going to do whatever it takes to foul out Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson. They want to get them into foul trouble as early as possible. They want Lance Ware and, and Jacob Toppin on the floor. That's exactly what, what, what they're going to do. And like that, that was something we all anticipated going into the game. And still, right away, I mean, it was like – 12 seconds into the game, I, I think it was Isaiah Jackson picking up the first foul, or maybe Olivia Sarr. But between the two of them, they both pick it, picked up two fouls very early in the first half with, with 10, 10 minutes to go. Uh, they both foul out relatively early. And we relied on uh, on Lance Ware to, to provide, like, serious front court minutes. And he he did a pretty damn good job. I got to be totally honest. We we've talked about him on this show in the past. Said we don't know what he brings to the table right now. He's a long term project. You know, he was arguably the biggest bright spot on the roster. Four point seven rebounds, shot two of three from the field. Uh, had a couple. Uh, he had that one big nasty putback dunk. Had another. Uh, was uh, was his second basket uh, another putback as well? It was. Both of them were offensive putbacks, and 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 that. His energy was the thing that stood out to me about him yesterday, Jack. Was I even said it earlier this week that I was questioning his impact at Kentucky, not just this year, but beyond this year, because we hadn't really seen anything that he was really good at to this point. But yesterday, you got to see it. He's a physical big, and he's a guy, I'll go ahead and say it, he's one of these guys that you need in your program, not just this year and not just next year. He's a guy, Jack, that I think that you need in this program for three years. And I, I think he has potential to be a very solid college basketball player with time. And I think yesterday was a confidence boost for not only him, I think it was a confidence boost for Devin Askew, who's still trying to find his way and figure out his role. But yesterday, Devin played with some intent and some purpose with his bounce. He, he didn't – now, North Carolina did get up in him in the second half and force Kentucky to start their offense 30 feet from the basket, make some entry passes 30 feet from the basket, and, and that certainly threw them off rhythm. But Devin yesterday, the thing that I noticed was he was getting the ball by the defender's hip, and he kept going mm-hmm. and finished some plays at the rim and got to got to his spots and made some nice plays for his teammates too. So I think that's a positive to take out of it. Got to the free throw line, 
uh, Davion Mintz is another positive that I got to go to the way he started the game. And, and right now, honestly, Jack, he, he looks to be Kentucky's best player. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> it's not. Uh, and that's not, that's no knock on, on Davion that he's going to be a very important piece for this team, regardless of where they go as the season moves along. But if he's their best player, three weeks from now, then we're talking about a Kentucky team that's going to end their season much shorter than what we all planned. And you go, uh, yeah, we were, we were going down the list of, of positives and, and you, you rattled off the three, the three biggest Davion Mintz, Lance Ware and Devin Askew. We will, we'll talk about Devin here in a second, but Davion Mintz, 17 points, eight rebounds, two assists, only two turnovers, shot six of 11 from the field, three of six from three. I mean, yeah, that was a an all it was an all around effort. He played out of his mind from 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 start to finish. He was the one that kind of got things off uh, on the right track. Was making some big shots, and then at the end of the game, he was uh, another one of those guys that was you know hanging right in there and 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 providing some level of scoring punch that that Kentucky need needed. But he led the team in, in rebounds and there was there were a few times that he came up with offensive rebounds and, and had a couple putbacks where you're like yeah great good job Davion we appreciate you but why in the world is he the one there right now why is he the one that, it, that that's going for these putback layups and 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 you know fighting for offensive rebounds and it, it just felt like he was the guy he was the guy doing things that everybody else on the floor should have been doing and, and I mean, there are so many just negative takeaways, and and we'll 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 get into that first. But yeah, I definitely think that Davion Mintz, Lance Ware, especially. I mean, that's a guy that we literally said last last week. He looks like a deer in the headlights every time he comes on the on the floor. I don't know what Calipari sees in him. Why is he on the floor? He you know he might be a, a longer project than we anticipated. And Devin Askew is a guy that I would argue has taken the most criticism on uh, out of everybody else on this roster in terms of how he is start how he started this year at, at the point guard position turning the ball over and and not making shots and kind of playing uh, just kind of playing with that nervous energy you know not playing confidently he goes out there and finishes with 12 points, shoots three of six from the field, six of eight from the free throw line, four rebounds, uh, three assists, only two turnovers, I believe, one steal, one block. I mean, he he had an all-around effort that made you feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere with a point guard position. I mean, Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, those are two guys that, that we've been waiting for, uh, you know, to, to click at some level, and both of them provided that. Um but the actual starter at the point guard position, Terrence Clark, did not. Six points, three of 11 shooting, zero, from three, zero for three from three, uh, seven rebounds, but two assists, two turnovers, just did some good things, but for the majority just didn't give Kentucky enough. Uh, I know he turned his ankle there a little bit, and that kind of uh, hindered his play just, just a little bit there in the second half, but... Terrence Clark is a guy that that we have said on this show several times that yes he is a, a a work in progress he's a guy that do you trust to be the the star point guard long term we don't know yet but well, I kind of I, I kind of th- think of it as the Lynn Bowden situation I said this on the KSR pregame show when Lynn Bowden took over at the quarterback position 
no, you know, when when he didn't throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, it, it, that wasn't something that people went, oh, well, guess he can't play quarterback. It's like, no, you got to understand that that Terrence Clark has never played this position before. He grew up as a pure combo guard, s- scoring, shooting guard. He has never had the ball in his hands this much as a as a distributor, as a facilitator. Uh, as, you know, he, he he has never done this. So I was trying. I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt as long as Calipari has been trying to work this in. And but by the end of the year, yeah, he very well may end up being a solid option at the point guard position. But Sean, what he did against North Carolina just simply wasn't enough. It wasn't, and and I'm going to tell you this: there, there's a problem with Terrence Clark at point guard, Jack. And I didn't find this until today. So last week, Justin Rowland tweeted, Terrence Clark is going to have a bright basketball future, but he ain't an SEC point guard as a college freshman. Not the answer. Jeff Goodman replied, he isn't a point guard, period. Guess who liked that tweet? Who? Terrence Clark. Yeah. And I'm not looking at that as a – he liked it as a motivation type thing. I'm looking at that as a – he didn't come to Kentucky to play point guard. And he probably – I'm wondering if the kid thinks that he can actually do it. I think that Terrence Clark come to Kentucky under the mindset that he'd be a two or a three or doing stuff like that. So I'm a little concerned about that because after yesterday, I I don't know if that's going to be the answer. Uh, Still, still, they ha- obviously they have to get that position figured out. I-, I think that's when their offense will go to another level because look, there's so many things right now that's wrong with this offense. The turnover bug bit them again yesterday. Did they finish with was it 15 or 16? They finished with six, 16 turnovers. Well, here's the thing: how many of those were offensive fouls? How many of those were moving screens? Oh, those those yeah. are all turnovers, but those are fundamental plays in basketball, Jack. That are killing this team right now. There's there's so many plays like, look, Isaiah Jackson, Jackson's picked up moving screens this year. Uh, Olivier Sars picked up moving screens this year. Yesterday, there was one where Devin Askew, Isaiah Jackson, this is another thing, at any point in Kentucky's time with John Calipari, any point in any game in college basketball, if the clock gets to 10 seconds, that's a middle ball screen yeah. for a lot of teams. That's what Kentucky does. They go to that middle ball screen action, Jackson was three seconds late even getting to it yesterday. So then Askew has to go early, and then there's contact made with six seconds, but Jackson's not even set. That's that's a wasted possession that leads to a turnover, and it's fundamental basketball. Yeah. And, and those are things that I think that they're running into because they don't have anyone that's taken over the reins of this team that gets them into their offense. There was, there was a possession yesterday Davion Mintz had uh, the lead there with the ball in the second half, and North Carolina's pressure – ended up putting B.J. Boston, Davion Mintz, and all of them about 30 feet from the basket. They didn't even get into their offense until about 14 seconds left on the shot clock. That, that's bad offense. That's bad offense for anyone, especially bad offense for a team that is just full of freshmen and inexperienced guys right now. Yeah. <laughs> bad offense is something that, that we we have been preaching over and over again for the last three weeks or so. For, I mean, shoot, basically the whole season, but especially – uh, especially over the last three weeks or so. But, the, I, I mean, first half, Kentucky did a lot you could work with. They were fighting. They were, you know, knocking down shots. I mean, there, there were still still some flaws there. But you, you could tell for the most part that that things were at least – they were at least doing doing enough 
to go, all right, th- this is something we can work with. And that second half, it, it's for whatever reason, it was just like everything just st- – I mean, it, it just all crumbled. I mean, they well, not, there was no confidence. It was just th- – th- I mean, it was just like they were all running with the, like chickens with their head cut off, man. Well, I'll, I'll say this. The pace helped them early in the game. The pace was up and down. They were getting out and scoring in transition. Davion Mintz pulled some threes quick in transition and knocked them down. From that point on, about the 10-minute mark of the first half to the end of the game, the game became a grinded-out basketball game. And this team is not good enough in the half court right now. They're not efficient enough on the offensive end of the floor to beat you in a half-court-style offensive game. Uh, I don't know. Like, Will they get that figured out at some point? John Calipari's Kentucky teams have been very good because they can play with any style of play. They can play fast. They can slow you down and grind it out in half court right now. Well, that's that's the way Cal team – that's the way Cal likes to play As he likes to grind out possessions. It's been criticized. It's been praised. But this team just cannot do it because they're not efficient. B.J. Boston's their leading scorer right now, Jack. That's a problem because he's probably their least efficient player on the team right now. <laughs> that, that's not a good thing to have. Uh, there's only one guy on the roster. Throw out Cameron Fletcher because he has three assists and two turnovers. He hasn't played enough and he hasn't handled the ball enough to even for that to even be a factor. But there's one guy on this roster right now who has a higher assist to turnover ratio, and that's Davion Mintz. That is a problem when you've played six games. Now, Devin Askew is starting to climb towards that now and getting on the other side of that. Uh, that will help. But those are things that you have to look at. And when you have those numbers as a team, you're shooting that poorly as a team from three-point range. It's it's not going to reflect. It's not going to show up in the win and on the win column. It's going to show up in the loss column. And right now, Kentucky's running bad offense, Jack. And until they get that figured out, they're going to continue losing basketball games. And John Calipari has said it. If you can't throw it to the post, you're a fraud. Well, here's the other thing to this. Olivier Saar was an all-SEC – or all-ACC, excuse me, third-team member last season. He had games where he scored 30 versus Notre Dame, 25 versus Duke. If you just gave me those two numbers, I would have told you he was on the first team, maybe second team at worst. Yeah. He was on the third team, Jack, because of foul trouble and because of inconsistency with big knots and then off knots. Those are still problems that he's having at Kentucky. I'm beginning to wonder if he is someone that they can play through. You cannot be that inconsistent and play through somebody. So this is a roster right now, Jack, who they don't have a go-to guy. You have an inefficient uh, B.J. Boston. You have Terrence Clark who's trying to figure himself out. You have Olivier Saar who didn't even take a shot yesterday. Zero. Zero shots, Sean. Zero. He didn't take a single shot. I mean, he went to the free throw line four times. He had four attempts at the free throw line, but he didn't have a single made basket. He 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 only attempted two shots, and both of them he he were he was fouled on both. But it's just like, dude, you can't have a guy of of Olivier Sar's caliber that you build around going into the season and say, yeah, this is our this is you know this is our guy. And have zero shot attempts and, and four rebounds, one assist, one block, but but he fouled out in 19 minutes. I mean, dude, Olivier Saar gave you nothing, and and uh, especially against a team as front as front court heavy as Notre as North Carolina is, you got essentially nothing from your starting front court with both both Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar fouling out combined for five points. Nine rebounds, which uh, Isaiah Jackson had the bulk of that. He had he had five rebounds, but uh, I mean, you 
you can't. I completely agree. I mean, there's just there are just well, so many issues right now with what this team's identity is, who the who the focal point is, who do you build around, who do you kind of look at and go, ah, there's your, you know, there there's your star. There's your, the, right now there there is none. Well, people are going to keep hammering me for it, but I, I still think that their best player is BJ Boston when he gets it figured out, and he has to get it figured out. We're we're going to be sitting here. In March, and we're going to go one of two ways, Jack. We're either Kentucky got it figured out to the point. Now, I'm not saying get it figured out to the point that they're going to be a Final Four contender because there are a lot of issues on this team right now. But I'm talking about getting it figured out to where they're competitive enough that they can win any game against any team if they play well. BJ Boston's going to have to be that guy. Terrence Clark's going to have to be that guy. Those were the two guys. Yes, Olivier Sar is Olivier Sar, but there were two guys that we talked about in the preseason that we said if they live up to their hype, Kentucky will be an elite Final Four contender. Right now, Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston, they're not even 50% of what we thought they would be. Now, I'm not saying they can't be. They're freshmen. They're struggling. It's a weird year. It's a COVID year. There's just a lot of concerns right now because we're six games in. And B.J. Boston's missing wide-open three-pointers. That concerns me, Jack. The shot selection concerns me to an extent because there was a point yesterday in the game where B.J. took two really bad shots to start the second half. And then he gets out in transition and finishes, I think it was an and-one, and got and got to the, the free-throw line. Uh, fundamentals are killing all these guys. Uh, there was a play yesterday where he didn't settle for a jumper. He blew by his man, got to the rim, had an opportunity to get an and-one, tried to finish with his right hand on the left-hand side. The ball gets blocked. He goes to the free throw line, though, with some contact. He missed both free throws. Mm-hmm. So just fundamentals. It's it's literally it's things that these guys were able to get away with at the EYBL and at the high school level, but you cannot get away with it at the collegiate level. You've got to have fundamentals. And right now, that's the thing that I think that this team's lacking the most. That kind of so that kind of takes us into the bulk of our show and kind of the the uh, the aftermath of of the game where you go all right B.J. Boston finishes with 15 points second on the team behind Davion Mintz but he shot five of 14 from three went o o for three from three uh, he had seven rebounds uh, but two assists and, and and two turn two turnovers. B.J. Boston is arguably the most polarizing player on the team right now because, yes, at at his best, we have seen B.J. Boston knock down shots. He had he had that run there at the end of the first half that made that I I, I even sent out a tweet that was like, oh, so everybody's wanting to write off a top five recruit that you know five top five recruit potentially top five draft pick going into next year. People want to write him off this early. How's that working out for everybody? Like. B.J. Boston, as a pure talent, is one of the best in, in college basketball, by far. But he is not there yet as a as a pure basketball player. He's just not. He's, he's missing open shots. He's turning the ball over. His shot selection is just horrible right now. And my biggest issue and, and the biggest takeaway from last game, I think, is is what Calipari said after the game, and I think it's specifically centered on B.J. Boston and Dante Allen. And that, that dynamic is, I think, the most frustrating for Kentucky fans right now. Is not just B.J. Boston, but the it's the entire front of the rotation that 
Calipari, for whatever reason right now, is he's sticking with them. He's giving them every single opportunity to make shots, to, to shoot themselves out of cold streaks, and, you know, to, to kind of work out their own turnovers. His quote, so, so, so I believe it was Larry Vaught, asked him about the, the possibility of Dante Allen, who averaged 43 points per game last year at Pendleton, High, Pendleton County High School, uh, earned Mr. Mr. Basketball in, in Kentucky. On when At his best, Dante Allen was one of the best pure basketball players and pure scorers we have seen come through Kentucky in, in decades. I mean, it, he, he, was, he was on pace to break the all-time Kentucky – basketball scoring record so the, the dude knows how how to score Kentucky, a lot of Kentucky fans especially homegrown Kentucky fans are looking at this team looking at BJ Boston and and how many shots he's missing and how bad the shot selection is and the turnovers and the poor defense and going all right well BJ Boston's missing all these shots but you're every time Dante Allen gets in the game you're going to pull him after every single turnover or every single missed shot or every missed defensive assignment or whatever the case is why are you giving BJ Boston these opportunities to 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 you know keep chucking bad shots and and turning the ball over but you're not willing to give Dante Allen that opportunity and Calipari's quote was I would argue one of the worst things that he has said in his time at Kentucky it was something that when when he said it like my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, "That is something that 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 you just don't say about your your kids." He said, "I could have I could have done it today, like saying I, I could have played him today, but I'm giving these guys that are in front of him the room that they need to be able to miss shots. We go in practice and they make shots, but they aren't making them in the game. It's not well, I I come out I come out every time I miss a shot. Obviously, you guys know that's not true." You try to give them the room and encourage them to shoot. Okay, it's obvious, Cal, that it's not. I come out every time I shoot. Think of every single time we've seen Dante Allen in the game. Every single time we've seen Jamal Baker in the game. Every time, every time we've seen Johnny Juzang, Michael Mulder, Derek Willis. You go down the list, Kyle Wilcher. You go down the list, and they are, if you aren't making shots in your time on the floor – you're gone. You you because yeah. the way you turn the ball over, the way you 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 screw up on defense, you you know you, all of the mistakes that you make do not prove your worth on the floor if you're not making those shots. And I thought it was the biggest slap in the face to Dante Allen, and and not even just Dante Allen, but but to all of the past players that have been that have gotten the the quick yank from Calipari four missing shots because he's willing to say yeah the guys ahead of you deserve that extra that 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 long leash to miss those shots but not you you don't deserve those missed shots the people ahead well, of you do I, I i'll say this that press conference yesterday was one of the weirdest things that i've ever been a part of from the from the point that keon brooks sat down and hadn't even played in the game, we hadn't even talked to Keon this year, to Cal referencing and saying the comment, the, the quote that you just read or you just mentioned, it, he looks like a man yesterday that was defeated. Jack, that's the thing that, that I got from it. And let's that's not the only mistake that he made. The whole thing about Terrence Clark 
walking off the floor was only a thing because he said he pretty much confirmed it. Yeah. Even though Terrence Clark didn't walk off the bench, <laughs> you can clearly see it on TV that he's still sitting there. Eric Lindsay came out last night and rightfully so corrected it that Terrence Clark wasn't that didn't leave the bench. And that is the thing that just stands out to me is because Cal pretty much confirmed it and said he did. Yeah. When he was, that's the, that's the part that yesterday he looked defeated and then his comment about Dante, it was bad. I agree with you 100%. And I get this from a coaching perspective. I get why he keeps trying to give BJ and Terrence and all these guys the room to miss shots. But I also don't get why Dante Allen doesn't have an opportunity because here's the thing. Even when BJ Boston gets it figured out and Terrence Clark gets it figured out, what the hell's wrong with Dante Allen having it figured out? Yeah. Like, yeah. wouldn't you, wouldn't you want that? Like, that's, that's the thing that I'm, I'm getting at here is with, with Dante, there's too many guys right now struggling. There's like nine guys that are struggling at something on this basketball team. What's the difference in adding a 10th one if he comes in and struggles right now? Yeah. If, if they're five and one, you can make that comment and say, well, guys are, you know, guys are getting their chances here that, it, when you're one and five, you can't say that. When you're one and five, you've got to try every available option that you have. And I just feel like that there's there's got to be a sense of urgency. And right now, put Dante in. If he misses a shot, so what? Let him have a few minutes, and we'll see what he does. Uh, if he gets beat defensively, gets gets somebody backdoors, fine. Just let him play through it. Give these kids the same leash. And you never know. You might find that you might be a little bit deeper in January and February and what you thought, what you thought they you were. I just feel like that there has to be a place in this program for kids like Dante Allen, who honestly, Jack, that could, that could be three or four year guys for you. That that's not a bad thing. Those kids need to feel like that there's a place for them. Uh, right now though, I just, Cal said it after the first game, I'll go back. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here with Dante and I, I probably shouldn't, Don't do but it. Th- this one stands out to me. The first game of the season, he played four minutes in a blowout win versus Moorhead State. Yep. Please explain that to me. Yeah. Like, I just don't understand. And it's not like he was bad. He went in, he hit a three, he got to the free throw line, he had four points in his four minutes. Late in that game when it was a blowout, probably should have played at least three to four more minutes and got eight minutes and got some floor time. But even after that game when he was asked about Dante's performance, Cal said he's behind some guys. Yeah. Like what? I just, I, I get it. I get that he's not as good as BJ Boston, supposedly. I get that he's not Terrence Clark and he's not the five star elite level going to go to the NBA here pretty soon, but he's a capable player that is good at the thing that they can't do right now. And that is score and open up the floor. And like yesterday, I thought the slap in the face and this, and I, Cal, do, Cal does more good than he does bad, Jack. I'm not yeah. trying to criticize. Cal, I'm just questioning this approach. It was even more of a slap in the face that he didn't play in a game against Notre Dame where they had their largest halftime deficit at home in school history, and then they follow it with another poor performance versus North Carolina where the second half was some of the worst offense you'd ever see. This is a Kentucky team that it's 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 normal to go on eight, nine-minute scoring droughts. That's a problem. They didn't score it for was a nine bigger, minutes. It was, a bigger, it was a bigger slap in the face, though, when you put him in with a minute to go. That I thought when he came in at the end of the game, he came in with one minute and six seconds left, to nine seconds left, something like that. It was like it was like sixty nine seconds left in the game, and you look at it, the UK's down nine, I believe, 
and you're like, ah, yep, right now, that's when you want your your scoring punch off the bench. Whoa, man, yeah, he's gonna come in and and just just knock him dead, isn't well, he? Like, what are you? What's your goal there? Well, here's the other thing that I that I keep coming back to with all this is you had the confidence in the Kansas game to run an Iverson cut for him to, <laughs> you know, get a shot off to tie the game up late. If you have the confidence in the kid to hit that shot, why not have some confidence in him to hit a shot when you're on a when you're when a team's on an eight zero scoring run and you need a basket or you need something there. It, if he goes in the game and hits a three or two, it opens up everything offensively. And you can't tell me that he's – even if he does struggle, Jack, tell me a guy on this team right now that's not. And that's the thing that I keep coming back to is that I just feel like that if he's not playing when, it, when they're one and five, he's not going to be playing when they're ten and three or ten and two in another year. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, I mean, here I'm driving – just drove through West Lafayette up here in Indiana. That's a program that would have loved to have Dante out, Matt Painter and Purdue. And I just, I just think that that's a kid that needs to be in a Kentucky uniform. And, and I just feel like he needs an opportunity. And that's, that's all I think that anybody wants is a fair chance. And right now I just don't know if Dante's going to get that on this team. And, and the, I, so after the game I wrote a column and it was, it was basically saying, you, you go back in, in the Calipari era and you look at Jamal Baker's career and you look at Johnny Juzang's career. You look at Michael Mulder's career. You look at Derek Willis. You look at Kyle Wilcher. You, you keep going down that list, and it's, it's skilled players that very obviously Calipari didn't – Cal is a guy that he will take athleticism, length, defensive potential, that high energy. He will take those – type of players 10 times out of 10 over skill over just pure scoring over over all, all of that and that's something that Kentucky fans have been complaining about over and over again I wrote I wrote this column and I and I basically highlighted that yeah Jamal Baker was a guy that every time he came in the game for for, for Kentucky yeah he got his opportunities he averaged 10 minutes a game but every time he got in the game, it was a he, – he was watching over his shoulder after every single missed shot, after every single turnover, after every single foul. Every time he messed up, he was looking over his shoulder at Cal like, uh-oh, yep, I'm off the floor. Cal's leash with those type of players, the – the, the pure skill, yeah, you're going to provide a lot on the offensive side on the floor, but, oh, um, yeah, you might give up a, a play or two here on the defensive side, and you might turn the ball over every once in a while. Cal has a tendency of giving those type of players the shortest leash possible and yank them with, with without even thinking twice. I go back to that, and I even wrote this in, the, in that column, that Elite Eight game against Auburn, Jamal Baker is in the game. He fouls on a three. Again, bad thing. I'm not defending the, the fouls. I'm not defending the turnovers. Yeah, the, it, it's all bad. He fouls on a three. Cal looks at him and says, I can't play you, and yanks him off the floor, and he doesn't play another minute for the rest of the game. There was like three minutes left in the, in, in the first half. He didn't play the rest of that three minutes. He didn't play any of the second half, and he didn't play any of the overtime period. Kentucky loses that game. He transfer, He puts his name in the transfer portal 
17 days later. Players like that, you, you go back down the list, Jamal Baker or uh, Johnny Juzang last year, that's a kid that it took so long. I mean, we didn't get until that Tennessee game, that, that road game against Tennessee last year, where that was the first time that Cal let him play through his mistakes, let him play through his missed shots and find that groove of, okay, yeah, if we keep going through him and we keep giving him those opportunities to find his to, to find some level of consistency, he can finally become the player that, uh, that, that we recruited him to be. And at that point, his bags had already been packed. He, he had decided on transferring back in January. That was a, a wide-open secret within the basketball program, that his bags were packed in January. It didn't matter how the rest of the season was going. He was leaving the program because of the lead-up to it, because of the, the fact that Calipari does not give those type of players the same chances and the same opportunities as the, the star-level players. And I got kind of hit by a bunch of people on Twitter with – I use that Jamal Baker example. People saying, well, so do you want Jamal Baker to play over uh, Tyrese Maxey left last year? Was he going to play over Emmanuel quickly? Was he going to play over Ashton Hagens? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's like it's like fans have this, have this level of thinking that, that you – that it's like an all-or-nothing thing. Like, we're saying Jamal Baker needs to be averaging 35 minutes a game and get 12 shots a game and, and, and shoot eight threes a game. It's like, no, nobody is saying that at all. No, here's the thing, too. With Jamal, he played 9.1 minutes per game on that Elite Eight team. He wasn't playing over any of those guys, over Keldon Johnson, uh, Ashton Hagen's Tower Hero. He, he wasn't playing over any of those guys. He wasn't going to take minutes for Emmanuel quickly. Ashton Hagen's Tyrese Maxey last year. Yeah. This is where you need Jamal Baker. Though. There's a place in this program, Jack, for kids like that. If it's a, if it can get to that point, this would be the year where you would love to have Jamal Baker in next year. A year where you have a ton of roster roster turnover, where you lose pretty much your entire roster. And here's the other thing I'll say about giving the opportunity. I don't think it's a coincidence that the final game of the season last year at Florida, that Keon Brooks and Johnny Juzang got it figured out and had two of their best nights of the season. They had to play on extended minutes because they were down Ashton Hagens and then Emmanuel quickly had fouled out. There was no looking over your shoulder who's going to come in for me at that point. It was I can play. If I make a mistake, miss a shot, I'm okay. And that's the thing that I take away from it is that sometimes that some of these kids, they just need an opportunity. And we're not sitting here saying that Jamal Baker would be the savior of this Kentucky he team. He would not be. I'm not saying I'm not saying Johnny Juzang would be the savior. Even Adam Kunkel and Xavier, who I tweeted today that wanted a Kentucky offer. None of these kids, I'm not saying they'd be the savior, even Dante Allen. But what I'm saying is when you're one in five, all these, I think all of these guys could have helped. Now, you wouldn't have had Johnny Juzang if Jamal Baker had still been in the Kentucky program. I think that should be noted. But there's also a thing, too, that I'm going to throw this out there. John Calipari has one common denominator a lot of years at Kentucky, and it's poor three-point shooting other than a couple, other than a few years. Jack, when you're getting to a point late in the recruiting process, Jamal Baker – Johnny Juzang, those those were late additions, final piece of the class, emergency gets for what exactly? Shooting. Yeah. I just feel like the, the, the biggest approach in recruiting for me with Cal 
would be that you've got to prioritize shooting over when it comes to athleticism and length. I just feel like that shooting in today's game of basketball, whether it be at high school, college, the NBA, professional overseas, the three-point shot has changed the game offensively. And right now, Kentucky's literally playing in a, in a time offensively where it just it doesn't fit the game of, of basketball. And I just feel like that – I'm not saying you can't recruit B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark. I think B.J. Boston has all the tools to be a good shooter. But – You've got to get that pure shooter on your roster and use them as that and run action for them and just let them light somebody up every single night that they go out there. You know when it leaves their hand that they have a chance of making it. Dante Allen's that guy. Yeah. I think Dante Allen has potential to be that guy for Kentucky, not just this year, not just next year, but for four years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a it, the, the situation right now is that Kentucky's role players – the four-star guys that are supposed to be the multi-year players do not feel valued under John Calipari. And that's something that it might be a controversial take. It might be something that, that the, the quote might be used in the future, whatever. But it, it, it's true. The, the Jamal Bakers of the world, every time they are in the, they are in the game, Jamal Baker – is looking over his shoulder knowing that Calipari is watching my every move. Think about that Dante Allen play uh, when, when, when he threw his clipboard against, uh, against Kansas, when, when Calipari threw his clipboard against Kansas, where it was, it was like, why is it that Cal is, is putting Dante Allen under a magnifying glass out of everybody else on the roster? B.J. Boston goes out there and takes some of the worst shots that you could dream of and is missing wide open three point attempts that could bring Kentucky back in these games that they are losing. And every time Dante Allen's in the game, Cal looks at him like he's like like he's like Satan Spawn or something. Like I just don't understand how there's that level of BJ Boston has the the the, the leash that he does, and that's fine. Nobody is saying that Dante Allen needs to become. That, that's that's one of the main criticism that I've got. I've gotten on Twitter is, oh, so you want Dante Allen to just be like, you know, taking BJ Boston's minutes? You want him to be playing over Terrence Clark? Nobody is saying that Dante Allen deserves to be playing over BJ Boston. I am not. I literally went on Twitter and I said all the people saying that BJ Boston is a bust and that he's Scal 2.0 and all that stuff. I thought they were freaking crazy because we are five games into his freshman year with no exhibition games, no tune-up games, nothing. People saying that he is a lost cause at this point are dumb. They are missing the point. But there's also on the uh, also on the flip side of it, it's okay to say BJ Boston is missing shots that need to be made. Those wide open corner threes that BJ Boston had, I think he had two of them. He bricked both of them in situations that if he had made those shots, Kentucky is right back in it against North Carolina. Had Dante Allen been in that position to to, to hit those shots, does he make them? Does does Kentucky get right back in it? We don't know that yet. We don't know what Dante Allen is in a Kentucky uniform because Calipari will not let him get to that point. That's the issue. He went in against Kansas and hit a three when he went in. That's that's not an easy thing to do coming off the bench, Jack. Yes, to just go in and just drain a three. And is he probably is he going to give up something athletically? Yes, he is. But when you have as much athleticism around 
it, it shouldn't be as big of a problem. Plus, he has some wind. I, I have no idea what type of defender Dante Allen will be or can be. Yeah. Because we haven't really got an That's opportunity a to see it. He obviously has the tools and stuff when it comes to the athleticism and the length and everything to kind of fit the mold of the player that Calipari likes. He's a long, lanky body that can shoot the basketball. you think that that would be something that Cal would kind of value at this point. And I'm hoping that now he gets an opportunity to do it. Uh, certainly, I, I think there – and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize Cal. I'm just saying – you don't want to lose Dante Allen to a transfer because he did not feel like he had a fit at Kentucky because what that does for you and your PR for the program, I think would be the lowest point that they've had when it comes to a transfer, because you would lose a Mr. Basketball who's saying there's no place for me at Kentucky. Well, here's the problem with that. Then if there's not, then don't recruit. Yeah. Because Dante didn't just do this against Kentucky high school competition. He did this, on the AAU circuit that summer when Cal watched him. It was against some of the top of competition in the country. Cal Perry sitting right there, you know, front front and center watching this. Uh, I went and traveled to Pendleton, Pendleton County High School uh, one day in June of 2018 and sat in an office with Dante for an hour and a half and just talked about what about Kentucky basketball and how badly he wanted to be a part of the program and how the program he grew up cheering for. There's no kid on this roster right now that I think wants to fix this more than Dante Allen, and it's not a selfish approach. I just think that he feels like he can help to some extent, but it can't just be a minute and mop-up duty, or it can't just be if he goes in and misses a shot. So what if he misses a shot? See what he does after he misses. Does it travel to the other end? Does he go down and stay locked in defensively and try to get a stop, come away with the rebound? Let him fight for a few minutes and figure it out. Let all these guys fight for a few minutes and figure it out because that's pretty much what he's doing with BJ and Terrence and these other guys is letting them figure it out. And, that, and I get where Cal's coming from, that he's given those guys minutes because Cal knows if this team's going to do anything when it comes to postseason or getting to postseason, BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, they have to be the guys. Absolutely. But what is wrong with adding another guy when you just right now you don't know if he can help? And from everything that I've gathered, Jack, it certainly isn't a problem with Dante Allen putting up results in practice. Supposedly, from everything I've been told, he checks all those boxes off in practice. It's just not translating to an opportunity in games. I heard he's leading the team in steals in practices. Which, yeah, him and Davion on miss. <laughs> which, I mean, <laughs> his biggest complaint right now is that he can't defend and that he turns the ball over. Okay, well, in, in practice, he's apparently doing that. And and one in Cal's next quote after that was, "These guys are making these shots in practice, but for whatever reason, they're not doing that." Well, okay, the guy that you're sitting on the bench is is stealing the ball, and and he's making shots in practice too, but he's not getting that opportunity. And Sean, I I would argue that that the two of us are as in, and I don't want to come off as a as an in-state Kentucky kid homer that yeah we're just rah rah and yeah we got to get the in-state kid to get some minutes because uh, again if Dante Allen got into the game think compare the situation to Cameron Fletcher or Jacob Toppin whatever the case is if he came in the game and he gave up four straight threes against Notre Dame the same way Cameron Fletcher did we would go on and say yeah okay we get it Cal we understand 
but we haven't gotten that opportunity yet. We have no idea what Dante in a in a time that we are all trying to figure out what the hell this team is and what they can be and just how good they are. We haven't gotten to see the true potential of it because Cal is is maximizing the the top of rotation guys. And just we've talked about the weird rotations and the weird lineups and Jacob Toppin getting – I mean, shoot, Jacob Toppin finished this last game with 19 minutes, went one for six from uh, – one for six shooting, four points, two rebounds, one steal. And you can't tell me that Jacob Toppin that, – that's five shots that Cal wants coming from him. When he hit the one, it was a baseline jumper. Dante Allen couldn't have gotten five shots? He couldn't have gotten five? Back to – well, back to what you said about, you know, being an in-state homer and being from the state of Kentucky, I won't lie to you. I feel like – I feel a connection to Dante and being in Kentucky and Dante's recruitment and things because when I sat with Dante in that office in June of 18, I told him, I said, Dante, all you got to do if you want a U.K. offer is go out here and do it in front of John Calipari. That's why he's not offered you yet because he hasn't got a chance to see you do it. I, I told him, I said, if you do that – I'm confident that you'll get an offer. Ever since that day, I've been close with his family. I've, you know, Dante speaks to me. He was, we went sitting with Summer Jack up at uh, Griffin Elite, and he was there. We talked for 30 minutes after it was over with the end with some of his family members and things like that. I want to see the kid do well. Yeah. But at the same time, if he gets his opportunity and he doesn't perform, I'll be the first one on this podcast or any other platform to say he. Hey, he got his opportunity. He didn't make the most of it. Yep. He has to wait for his next one now. I'll be the first one to say it. There's three kids that I've felt a, more of a connection to when it comes to covering the recruitment and when they and knowing them. Dante Allen's one of them. Tyrese Maxey was another. And oddly enough, Kira Lewis that played at Alabama. I, for some reason, had a really good relationship <laughs> with that kid. He didn't even end up at Kentucky. <laughs> but all three of those kids I talked to multiple times one-on-one and in interviews and then on the phone and everything you kind of want those kids to do well because you know those kids and that's why i'm sitting here trying to push that i want to see dante allen get his opportunity but like i said if he doesn't perform i'll come right back on here and say look cal gave him opportunities dante didn't take advantage of it now it becomes you got to wait your turn again yep yeah that's the that's what it boils down to we you can't tell me that Dante does X, Y, Z. People go back to the Georgia Tech game. Yeah, he got four minutes against Georgia Tech, and he turned the ball over twice or three times, whatever it was. He had a couple horrible passes, all that. But think of the context of the game. Kentucky was already down by like 18, 15 points or whatever at that point. He came in going, oh, crap. Cal wants me to come and, in and score 25 points and, and be the savior of this team, and there's not and enough think, time in the day for that. And think of this. This is a team that struggles to do what right now? The defensive end's fine most of the time. The offensive end is an absolute mess. Yeah, There's going to be turnovers when you don't have control of the point guard position, and you can't even run offense. Running offense is hard right now. Initiating offense is hard right now. Getting your offense going is hard. They can't even run their fake, their false motion to get into sets right now. Like they struggle with the biggest thing with Kentucky. They, you haven't seen a ton of the circle series that they usually t- they typically do for their better players, like a BJ Boston or a Terrence Clark. 
to get them looks like they did Emmanuel quickly. Ty- Tyrese Maxey, Tyler Hero. The list goes on and on. Kel- Kevin Knox. I mean, I can name off Deron Lamb going all the way back to those teams. They haven't even been able to get to that point offensively because they struggle to even take care of the basketball enough to get in a position <laughs> to have some success. Yeah. Of course there's going to be kids that are turning the ball over three times, especially when it's the kids that aren't tipping, aren't be the, aren't the one. Now, I will say this. A couple of those turnovers in the Georgia Tech game, it looked like it was Dante's fault, but I promise you if you go back and watch the tape, it was there were other factors in it too. It just looked bad because he he made all those turnovers in one flurry there. That is the thing, and it seems like since that time, Jack, Cal has kind of just lost the trust in him, and I just think that that's a bad thing if you lose trust, especially on a roster that's struggling as mightily as they are right now, and they're one and five. Like I said, if Kentucky's five and one, and Dante Allen's not getting minutes, we're not even talking about this. But the fact that Kentucky's one and five, and Dante Allen's not getting minutes, I mean, give me a break. We saw Brad Calipari get more minutes, yeah, than Dante <laughs> Allen did in the past. Like uh, what? Yeah. No, think of think of. Devin Askew's situation. Devin made the same turnovers, the same mistakes that Dante Allen made. Horrible, uh, horrible passes at the front court. Just, just some of the turnovers were like Devin, dude. They, uh, that is something that you cannot physically do. He made the same mistakes that Dante Allen made, and guess what? Just a game later, it, yeah. Devin Askew isn't, our, isn't Kentucky's starting point guard anymore. But think of how quick the narrative changed from Devin Askew being, well, he's unplayable. Kentucky just – I mean, he, he just flat out can't be Kentucky's point guard. He sucks. Think about how fast that narrative changed when Cal let him kind of play through those ups and downs. This last game against North Carolina, Devin Askew was fantastic. He was. He was. He was fantastic. We don't know that with with Dante Allen because we don't get those ups and downs. It's here. Come in. You get four minutes. You get three minutes. You get two minutes. Whatever the case is, you get to come in, and if you don't make that shot. Immediately, if you turn the ball over, immediately you're gone, and your tr- and my trust in you is gone. And that is can, the well, the issue right now is is role players at Kentucky do not feel confident to play under Calipari. They feel like they are always watching over their shoulders. They feel like every mistake that they made is is going to ruin their playing time. They don't get the opportunity that other players do. And that's something that I have argued and I have complained about on Twitter and I have argued with other fans saying, well, I can't believe you guys, you, you think Dante Allen is our savior. I can't believe you thought Jamal Baker would be our savior or that Johnny Juzang would be our savior. Nobody is saying that, can, that those players would be our savior. Nobody is saying that Dante Allen would be our savior right now. It's the fact that we don't know what those players are or what they could be because they are not given the same opportunities that the players higher in the rotation are, and that's the issue. They cannot play through those same mistakes, and they're not playing. Calipari is not playing to those, the, playing to maximize those strengths that that he is trying with Terrence Clark or or the other players. Look at Terrence Clark with Calipari. Cal loves Terrence Clark so much and, and sees so much potential in him that he was willing to put him at point guard and say, yeah, we're going to do whatever it takes to maximize your potential and, 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 and put your best brand of basketball on the floor because 
we need this at this point. We, Cal is willing to do things for specific players that he is not willing to do for others. And it's not, well, it's not giving these, these role players the same level of confidence, and that's why they're leaving. Can, can I say this? So, Jamal Baker, and look, everybody listening to this podcast, we're not throwing Jamal Baker's name to throw it in the face of Kentucky fans or anything like that. We're tweeting about him because he's playing very well at another place that's not Kentucky. Yeah. At a time where Kentucky's not playing well. And then here's the thing, and I've read this from people, and I've seen people say this, that Jamal Baker got his opportunities in Kentucky, and he just wasn't good. Did he, and like, did he get better? Has he gotten better since he left Kentucky? Absolutely. But here's my thing. What's wrong with him getting better at Kentucky? Yeah. <laughs> like, why not be a normal – like? We talk about this all the time that we want these kids to be – sometimes they're normal freshmen and they struggle like Lance Ware or Devin Askew. And then sometimes they're Anthony Davis and they turn into first-round draft picks or they're Julius Randle and they turn into first-round draft picks. Every kid, Cal says it, is on their own path in their own time frame. What's wrong with some of these role players been on their own time frame too? Like here's the thing. Jamal Baker, looking at his numbers, this year I'm just throwing it out there. He's averaging 16.7 points per game at Arizona. He's shooting 47.6% from the three-point line, 52% from the floor, 90% from the free-throw line, and he's playing 28 minutes a game. Looking at his stats, he's had his last four games, he's had 33, 15, 11, and 29. <laughs> I'm talking about him because he's playing well. Yeah. And – and, yes, he improved. He is a better player now than what he was at Kentucky. But what I'm getting at is why couldn't this have happened at Kentucky? This could have happened. This progression. and being Like last year, he shot 34% from the three-point line. In his season at Kentucky in 18-19, he shot 31%. He did not, it's not, it wasn't like he made a significant jump to 34%, but look at the payoff now. Yeah. At 46 or 47.6%. What I'm saying is don't give me that whole – don't give me the BS that he got better. He's better now, and he just wasn't good enough at Kentucky. He could have been good enough at Kentucky if he felt like there was a chance and there was an opportunity there. Now, he might have only played, Jack, maybe 13, 14 minutes a game last year. But I still think if he were in this program, he could have done these things at Kentucky. If you can do it at Arizona, you can do it at Kentucky. And if you can do it at UCLA like Johnny Juzang is doing, you can do it at Kentucky. And if you do it, and I will say Johnny is struggling from three, but when he scores the first six points yesterday for UCLA, just moments after Kentucky couldn't buy a basket, it, it, I kind of have to tweet about it because it's like, you know, dang, you know, that kid was doing this in March and we were sitting in, in Gainesville yeah. and having a good game. And I just, I just think that it, it just kind of contradicts some of the things that Cal says where you're on your own time frame. Here's the problem. That can't just be for NBA ready, NBA caliber players. That, that has to be for everybody. Every kid's on their own path. It's okay if that path is a little different. Yeah, and that was something. So kind of switching a little into the sources, inside knowledge. Sean, I would argue that the two of us are about as well connected in the, in the Dante Allen play you know how his career is going talking to him specifically talking to his family members talking to people close to his game his his trainers his coaches we talk to people around Dante this is a kid 
that – all right, well, let's break some news here on the show. He got home from Cleveland against UCLA, and within uh, – the, the second he got back from Lexington after the, the uh, UNC loss, he was in the Joe Craft Center, and he was there all night last night because he looks at this, at this opportunity and goes, look – I, at some point, as Calipari says, at some point I'm going to get an opportunity to come in the game, and I have to be able to make my shots. I have Because he looks at this and goes the, the, the same thing that we're all looking. I have to make my shots because if I don't, then, then my time at Kentucky is over. I, I'm not going to be able to get these same minutes. He got back from Cleveland. He was straight in the gym. I talked to people to, to several different people that said his confidence is an, is at an all time high. He wants this. He understands that there's there's a challenge ahead of him, but he is willing to accept that challenge. I was so pleased to hear that. I mean, I was watching that. And I I was feeling bad for the kid. I'm like, dude, he came in with with a minute nine left in the game with Kentucky out. I mean, the game was over. And Cal's like, all right, yeah, Dante, here's your cleanup minutes. I, I thought that was embarrassing. I thought the quote after the game was horrible from Calipari. And Dante well, still, has, still has his chin up. He's fighting through. I am rooting like hell for this kid to, to get his shot against Louisville. I'm hoping he gets 10, 15 minutes. Again, I don't think we're asking too much by saying – he deserves the same the same minutes that a, a Cameron Fletcher gets or that a Jacob Toppin gets even. I mean, Jacob Toppin has done – Jacob Toppin was supposed to redshirt this year by his own accord. He told us that he wanted to redshirt this year because he didn't think yeah. that he was ready for this moment. Don't give me the don't don't give me the BS that that Jacob Toppin deserves more minutes and all that. He got 19 minutes, and yeah, it was because of foul trouble and all that. But Dante Allen can be in that 10 to 15 minute, maybe at most 20 minute range right now, and it wouldn't affect the the lineups in, in rotation all but, that much. It wouldn't. You know. Well, here's the thing too with Dante's lack of minutes that's getting me, and and I'm I'm assuming that Cal has had an opportunity to digest what he said yesterday, and I'm willing to bet Jack that Cal is probably thinking, why did I say that that way? I hope so. Uh, I, I think he has. Uh, there, I, I'm going to guess that Cal has probably had a talk with Dante today or maybe tomorrow morning and say that because, look, everybody was emotional at the end of that game yesterday. Uh, you saw Cameron Fletcher you know, on the bench in tears, and then you know, Cameron tweeted today, which I thought was a very good sign. Yeah, I don't think I that he so necessarily too. had anything to apologize for. He I don't either. apologize for being upset and Didn't emotional. Either. Yeah, but it showed a lot. It showed to me that that kid is locked in and wants to get it right and wants to get things figured out and he wants to contribute. I would be more concerned if they weren't pissed off and upset. So mm-hmm. the fact that they are tells me some good things and maybe they're on maybe they're on the right track. It just, maybe it'll just take a little longer. But when it comes to minutes. You're not an NBA franchise. You're not paying BJ Boston $4 million a year where you're having to give him minutes and get it figured out. Maybe someone else go in and play well, and then it forces others to have to step their game up. And that, that's, that's the way that I would use it. it. It makes your team better. And if Dante goes in and does some things, maybe, he, maybe he's a spark. Maybe it's just for one or two games, Jack. Just, I just feel like that right now this team is struggling enough that everybody deserves a chance. I would look at all options possible 
especially until Keon Brooks gets back and gets out there. Because right now they, they need a spark. And if it's just a made three or two made threes in eight minutes of playing time, I don't think that anybody in Dante Allen's camp is expecting him to play 20 minutes a game. I think it's one of those things that if just let if he if he plays 10 minutes, <laughs> make an impact in those 10 minutes. Find a way to make an impact and help. And I, that's the thing that I think that Dante can do. And like I said, if he gets an opportunity or two and he doesn't make the most of it, then I'll come back and be like, hey, he didn't take advantage of it. He'll have to wait for his next opportunity. But I just feel like that right now you got to be trying everything you can to get this thing figured out. You're one and five. Like I said last last Monday, season was on season's on the brink. It's even more on the brink now because you're going to Louisville. There's there's two places they're traveling in the next three games. They're going to Louisville, who they've owned the entire Calipari era, and they go to Starkville, play Mississippi State, who has not beaten Kentucky since Cal's been in Lexington. You can lose those two. And you're starting to think, what in the heck is going on here? What is wrong? How do we get this figured out? Kentucky needs wins. They need to pass the eye test. I'm just hoping that they get enough opportunities that they don't, that they're not looking up in mid-January and they're four games under 500 because, Jack, I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament is still going off body of work and resume, and Kentucky has no resume right now. None. I mean, when – when they cut the se- the the regular season down to twenty seven games, that cre- that the the level of there is no margin of error f- right now for for Kentucky. We are past must win territory. The the I said this on the the, the pregame show uh, b- before the North Carolina game. The, the the must win mindset going into last game going into the the Notre Dame game was if Kentucky wants to right the ship if if they want to still be that elite team that we thought they were they have to make their move now we're past that point now after losing the Notre game to, uh, Notre Dame game and then after losing the, this North Carolina game we are well past that point now the must win factor of it all is if they want to make the tournament, they have to win. They, they we are we are so far past the can they be elite? Can they be all that stuff? This is can they make the tournament? We are pa- we, we are at that point now. There's no time for excuses. There's no time for for Calipari being like, well, well it's a young team. It's this. It's that. No, Kentucky is well, one in five right now. They are on yeah. the they are on the cusp of not making the tournament. You can't have that March March success story and the hurrah and and the the sweet Cinderella story that we've seen over and over again under Calipari. If you don't get to that point originally, if if we don't get there, then there is no opportunity for that Cinderella story. Well, they will miss the tournament and be embarrassed at the end of this year. And Seth Davis, he said it multiple times yesterday, you know, to hang in there, not, not panic, all this stuff. But then he made, he said a line that just didn't make sense to me. And it was, it was something along the lines of the schedule gets easier. Does it, does it get easier? Because I, I don't know. Like, how do you know that with this team? And then here's the other side of that. If it gets easier, what does that do for the resume? Yeah. They don't have any quality wins. If, if they're going to go off of, you know, beating up on some of the teams in the SEC that aren't very good, what does that do? They don't have anything to show for right now. They they don't have a win against Kansas, who – here's the other thing. If Kansas is really, you know, a top five, top six team, 
you have to see potential in Kentucky doing something at some point this year. Kansas, what, lost to Gonzaga by 12? They just couldn't they couldn't keep up with Gonzaga. And then Kansas goes and beats Texas Tech, and Kansas has done some beats Kentucky. I'm like, what I'm saying is, is the book's not closed on this team. Yeah. This team, can, this team, I think, can still be a good basketball team. No, I didn't say great. I'm not saying great until I see it, Jack. And right now I've not seen anything that tells me that this team can be great. Not saying it's not in there, but they're a long way from that right now. But right now starts the journey to getting to that spot. But here's the thing. They can get better, and they will get better as the season goes along. But the, the sand's falling out of the hourglass a lot faster than it is in a, nor, in, in a normal year because they're already behind the eight ball because they didn't have some of those wins to kind of fluff their non-conference schedule up and make the record look better. But they've wasted opportunities in non-conference right now. They have Texas left. They have Louisville left. Louisville just got drilled by Wisconsin, but you can't tell me that that won't be a win that they can look at on the resume late in the season and say that's a good win. They need wins. They need to go on a streak here in the next 10, and I think, honestly, they need to win seven to eight of them. <laughs> Will that happen? I don't know. That's a lot to ask for a team that right now that can't even set up and run offense for 30 seconds in the half court. But I'm not giving up on them. I don't think anybody should give up on them, and I want to remind fans of this. After Kentucky blew out Moorhead State, John Calipari made it a point to talk about that this is going to be a struggle and that this schedule was going to be awful and that they could go, what, 0-6 yeah. out of the games that they had played. Well, guess what? They've lost five straight. I don't think Cal thought that they would lose all these games. I think Cal's even shell-shocked by it. But I will say this. There's one thing that stands out to me that Cal has said. Don't be mad at the kids. Be mad at him. That's my message to everyone that listens to this podcast. If you want to be pissed, it's okay to be pissed because this isn't acceptable. But it starts at the top, and when the top's telling you it starts at the top, start at the top and let this thing, let these kids kind of figure this thing out because I hope they do. Well, can I be pissed at Sean? Can I be pissed at Coach Cal, Sean? Everybody can be pissed <laughs> at Coach Cal. I think Coach Cal can be pissed at Coach Cal. Because it's not I even am. in a pandemic year. It's not acceptable to be making the wrong side of history in Kentucky. Yeah. I, this 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 shouldn't be happening, Jack. I'm sorry. Even with roster turnover, this should not be happening. Yeah. And But I'll also say this. We do not know what these kids have been through. We have no idea. But I will say this, too. If that's the excuse that we're going to use, why is it working out for these other programs in college basketball and stuff? I know Kentucky has a ton of new faces. I do think they're going to get it right, Jack. I do think that this will be a team that Kentucky fans will enjoy watching late in the season. Right now, they're not a team that Kentucky fans want to turn on and watch, but I guarantee you every single Kentucky fan is going to be sitting there. Even if they lose Saturday, they'll be sitting there watching them play South Carolina because that's what Kentucky basketball is, and we all know at some point they're going to improve and they're going to get better. It's just do they put themselves in a position to where it will matter and they can play postseason basketball because we know – it's just make it to the NCAA tournament and see what you can do. Because from that point on, it's what you do on that given night. I want to see this team get it figured out as, as badly as anybody does. But it has to be a collective effort, not just from these kids. It has to be a collective effort from the staff. And I just think that that's uh, ever. I just don't think anybody's on the right page right now. And I want to see that change because it's certainly getting old talking about how bad they've been. Yeah, I I come I 100% agree. I want this to be a season that I know Keon Brooks came out and he said something along the lines of 
this is a season that we're all going to remember. We're going to turn this, you know, right this ship. Things are going to go well. Same stuff we heard with, you know, the Aaron, the the Aaron Harrison quote before the was it Aaron or Andrew? I can't remember. Either either one. It was Aaron. The whole it's going to be a great story. It's going to be a great story. We heard well, that after the South Carolina it, game that 2014 season. And Keon at the table. I didn't agree with it because I thought that someone on the team should have said, hey, we played like crap again. I'll go do it. But I, I like it, and I don't like it. I like it because here's Keon Brooks, who's like, I'm not going to put one of these these guys in a vulnerable spot. I'm going to come talk because I'm supposed to be a leader, a leader. It makes me think a lot about Keon Brooks. It makes me respect him even more than I already do. And it makes me wonder how much he does help when he gets back out there because when you see that teammate going to the table – it's probably going to make you want to fight a heck of a lot harder for him. Yeah. But on the other side, I thought it could have been an, a golden opportunity for one of those guys to step up and say, I'll do it. And then it kind of changes that locker room. But right now, hey, if, if, they, if they needed Keon Brooks to go to the table, that's fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with it if that's exactly what they wanted to do in that situation. Uh, because I do think that, you know, Keon is showing that he's a leader. And I liked Keon's message that, you know, we're going to get this thing figured out at some point, but some point's got to come sooner rather than later, Jack. And that's the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, does this team run out of time? Because there is a, there is a thing that comes down to, you have to get into the tournament. Uh, you don't want to come down to a situation where you have to win the SEC tournament, because I'll also throw this out there to you. What happens if there's a COVID situation late in the season and those camp conference tournaments don't get played? Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't know exactly what's going to happen over the course of the next eight weeks to 10 weeks. Uh, there's a lot of factors that play into this, but but right now Kentucky has to take this week. I think it's a just a, a you got to hit reset, take some things from that game, but overall it's going to take a collective effort from all these guys. I, I don't think that this team's good enough to just let one or two guys carry them. It, it's going to have to be a collective effort. Everybody's going to, have to do their job. They certainly got to figure out the foul trouble situation. Isaiah Jackson, Olivia Saar, that, that this can't keep happening. Uh, they've got to be on the floor. Jackson's. It feels to me like Isaiah Jackson has not played significant minutes since the Kansas game. Like he's been in foul trouble. It seems like in every situation since. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it. Just and I've rambled on like crazy because honestly, if you want to know the truth, it's it's frustrating from a media perspective too, Jack, because you know that this we've watched these guys in high school be very good basketball players, and right now they're not very good basketball players. And John Calipari is the head coach of Kentucky. I'm not saying that somebody else should replace him. I'm not saying it's time for him to go because yeah. I don't think it is. Look, he won the league last year by three games in a year where they lost to Evansville. He can coach, but yeah. here's the thing. Maybe it just maybe this is a team where he has to adapt and maybe not be stubborn with some things. And if, if he does that, maybe it fixes it, maybe it doesn't. But uh, definitely not saying that he's not the man for the job. I, I hate seeing those comments and stuff on Twitter. People saying, it's time to fire Cal. No, it's not. Shut up. Yeah. It's not time to fire Cal. It's just agree. time to figure out. And maybe, maybe it's okay to push the panic button because when you push the panic button, you're kind of forced to figure it out. Yeah. And that's good. That's where our – Dante Allen gripes come from. That's where our let's let's just see what we can do elsewhere. Let's try to do, let's try new things. I I appreciated Cal's. Let's let's try Terrence Clark at point point guard because the what what's happening right now isn't working. I appreciate 
that level of innovation and, and understanding that things that, that things have to change in some point or another. But you, you can't say things are going to change in one aspect and then not be willing to just go to the bottom of the roster and and try to work things out, see if other other things can work out. There are other options on the table that could potentially add a new spark or – if Dante comes in and, and he sucks, if he breaks a bunch of shots, if he gives up a bunch of de- a bunch of baskets on the defensive end of the floor, if he turns the ball over a bunch, then we can look at that go and go, all right, well, at least we know. We said the same thing. I, I went on the, the KSR pregame show. I said on this show, Cameron Fletcher needs to be that guy. Maybe he starts at the four for Kentucky, blah, blah, blah. And the very next game he gives up. Three wide open threes, four wide open threes against Notre Dame, and we were we were like, all right, well, okay, at least we know. We we don't know right now with Dante Allen. We don't know about some of these guys at the end of the bench because Cal's trying to trust his guys and 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 give those those top of rotation guys that's that that those opportunities to try to fix this stuff. And 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 if Kentucky wants to reach their potential, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Olivier Saar, they need to be the guys. And I get that, but we're in a time that change is necessary right now. And if it means instead of giving BJ Boston 35 minutes, and instead of giving Terrence Clark 30 minutes or whatever, you give and, and giving Dante Allen five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. If it means doing little tiny adjustments to just see if all right, let's let's try this out and see if it works. That that's something Cal needs to do, and I I hope. Fans understand that, yes, we are on their side whenever it comes to the Dante Allen situation, whenever it comes to knowing that this is unacceptable. Kentucky starting the season 1-5 and five is absolutely unacceptable. It's not. But still understanding that, yeah, this is still a talented group of kids. It's not – it's not fair to them to, to attack them and say, you know, go at them on Twitter and all that. There, there can be some level of middle ground saying that, yes, there is, there is a level of criticism that's necessary for Calipari and how he's handling things, but still saying this is still a young, young, young team. They're still a talented team. They can be good at the end of the day. We just have to be patient with them, but still hope that Calipari – goes out of his way to to you know kind of adjust to these trying times so i i i don't want this to be a podcast where we go well sky's falling we got to give up on this season here we go i i still want this to be as sean said this can be a season that we look at as a massive relief and a massive reward at the end like Man, they started off so poorly, and, and there were so many errors and so many mistakes, so many things that you could look at and go, man, this, oh, this, this, this team's done. They, they just have no way out. They can turn this around, but if they want to, it has to happen now. I mean, this is a, this is a win-now situation. They, I mean, this, this Louisville game is as big as, big as it gets, Sean. It is, and I just keep coming back to Cal's comment after the Moorhead State game. I took a screenshot of it today. I'm probably going to tweet it out uh, at some point this week. When he, he, It's almost like even in a 40-point win that night or a huge win, it might not have been 40. I think well, it was It was 35, I think, some, something. Even in that big win, 
think it was 80, I think it was 81 to 45 somewhere through there. But even in that big win, Cal wasn't praising anything. He was more along the lines of saying that he was talking about how hard it was going to be and that they could certainly do exactly what they've done the last five games. Yeah. Makes me wonder, Jack, if, but then again, you got to come out and say it. He deserves some criticism because he did pump this team up in the offseason. There's a reason why all this media guys were jumping on board because usually when Cal praises a team in the offseason, it usually means they hit the ground running and are ready to go when the season started. It's the same thing that's happening with B.J. Boston right now. The reason B.J. Boston's getting the criticism that he is is because he came out during their, their – uh, as the Big Blue Madness or the – the pro day thing and said that he wants to be the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Like, okay, when you say those things, you set the bar high. And when you struggle, it's, you're going to hear it. But I'm also going to tell you that I do think I'm still believing that the kid's going to be very good by the end of the season. I believe Terrence Clark's going to be the best version of himself. Will it be enough to make a run? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we'll know that until the calendar turns late February or March, but They've got to start being better versions of themselves now and figuring this thing out together if they want to give themselves a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. I completely agree, and and that ties in so, so perfectly to our next ad with MyBookie, our our friends at MyBookie. We love them. Just just listen to this. It, It could not tie in any better. Listen. Every sports fan knows that it's not about how you start the season, Sean. It's about how you finish. My bookie, 2020 finishes strong with NFL, college football, and the return of NBA action, and college basketball as well. Sign up today to receive a halfway deposit match of up to $1,000, and while you're at it, ring in the holidays with six days of giveaways, Sean. Six days! You heard it here first. From December 21st to December 26th, MyBookie's hooking players up with free bets, casino chips, and blackjack tournaments with huge cash prizes, and it's all week long. To get in on the action, it's simple. Sign up, make your first deposit, and enter promo code Sources Say to claim your bonus and start taking advantage of the holiday freebies. Head over to MyBookie to discover this year's batch of fun on-site promotions and win big with six days of giveaways. This holiday season, bet with the best, bet with my bookie. Kentucky needs that right now, Sean. Kentucky does. They, they, the, they the, do. They need to turn this season around the same way that my bookie says they're going to. Trust our friends at my bookie. They have everything you need. I'm telling you, if if you trust if you trust my bookie. Things are going to work out at the end. I promise you. Yeah, and I'm going and I'm going to take the line from uh, John Rothstein as we close this. Stay positive, test negative. <laughs> <laughs> I I wholeheartedly agree with that, Sean. I I just I couldn't agree with you more. All right, well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get the heck out of here. Sorry for complaining, and this this was more like a a personal one on one vent session that. Which was just recorded for fans to hear. Hopefully, you guys agree with us. Ho- you know, if, if you guys have complaints, concerns, whatever the case is, reach out to us. You know where to find us. But uh, uh, Sean, I, I appreciate this this fun time and, and allowing. I, I appreciate you 
uh, having an ear open for me to to vent to you for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like Jack said, I think this is more of a uh, it's like a healing type thing. It, it feels good to come on here and talk about it just from a work perspective because I, you know, I, even I get emotional when covering these games. I, I usually I don't tweet it. I, I won't tweet it. I will never tweet at one of these kids or anything like that. But I mean, certainly they all need to be better, Jack. I think everybody agrees with that. I think they agree with that. But step away from the phone, step away from the keyboard. It's okay to be frustrated, but at the same time, just you can't really change anything. It's up to what it's up to this coaching staff and this team if they change it. Uh, if you want to call me stupid, you know my Twitter handle, it's GBB Country. You won't be the first person today that's called me dumb. But the good thing is I'm open to a difference in opinions because it's not fun to always agree. I I completely agree with that. That's the that is the biggest point that I, that I think I agree with you today. I it's been it's been a ride. I I understand fans gripes, uh, you know, trying to defend Cal. Look, this is a Hall of Fame coach. He has won a national title here at Kentucky. Final four after final four. The winning speaks for itself. Cal over and over and over again figures things out by the end of this year. Well, and there's there, there's and a solid you, chance he does this year as well. And you know why that we understand the frustration wrapping up here? You know why me and you understand it? We we were fans before we were media members, Jack. Yeah. And, and we get it. And that, that's the thing. Well, I'm never going to tell someone that they can't be frustrated. You have every right to be frustrated. And, and right now it's a very frustrating time. And uh, hopefully for – Kentucky basketball fans say uh, the end of 2020 brings them some joy with the win over Louisville. Hopefully 2021 brings a lot of positives because uh, everybody certainly needs it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I hope you were, you, I hope our fans were able to listen to this and feel some of our same frustrations, feel some of those same emotions, let out those same things. Uh, if you want to, Send some of those our way. Reach out to me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. I would love to hear them. We are all in this together. Uh, Sean, on that note, where can fans find your work and where can fans uh, vent to you? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and Twitter at gbbcountry. My DMs are open. I respond 95% of the time. If I don't, and it's about something basketball-related and it makes sense, uh, send another message, and I'll get it or tweet at me. For some reason, Jack, my notifications on Twitter, I haven't got a notification in two and a half weeks ever since <laughs> we were in Atlanta, so I'm missing everything. So I'm literally having to open the app. I don't know if it's my phone. I've checked notifications. Everything's turned on. So if I miss something, just send it again. Or email me at gobigbluecountry uh, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Absolutely. Well, uh, Sean, I, I appreciate your effort. This is this has been a lot of fun. Um, sometimes we just need this, man. This is a, a great vent session. Just we're hoping we we keep saying this over and over again. Hopefully, next time we do this show, we have something to celebrate. We have a win to celebrate. We have at least some level of positive performance. We go, ah, there we go. Finally, now we can talk about it. We haven't gotten that. I think. No, and I think now's a good time to throw this in there too, Jack. There's going to be a sources say goes to start deal in early <laughs> January, and if I if I'm not, we should probably 
periscope and everything a couple of times throughout that drive and just let everybody in on the whole Starkville experience during a pandemic. Well, if there's one way to do Starkville, it's the way we're about to do it. Um, yeah, we, we will be down there in Starkville. We, were co- we, will, we are all in on this team. We're all in on this program. We will cover this from top to bottom, everything you need to know. We will be down there. Uh, Kentucky plays Louisville next weekend, uh, December 26th, and then they will play South Carolina at home, and then the, the very first – SEC road trip. We will be down there. Uh, we'll have a show. We'll you know, shoot. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Let's do a, a Facebook live or a YouTube live or a whatever the case is. We will put that out there and we'll have a lot of fun with it. We are all in on this team the same way you guys are. Uh, be patient with us. Keep keep hanging on along the ride with us. We'll we'll have a lot of fun with this. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We hope you guys have a merry Christmas, happy holidays. We, we could not thank you guys enough for, for constantly listening to us and listening to our event sessions because this has been just such a relief and such a crazy year. We appreciate each and every one of you listeners. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back, I guess, after the Louisville game. I will be at the Yum Center on December 26th, and, and we'll have a show up right afterward to, to explain. Hopefully things are good. We have a lot of positives to talk about. Uh, But either way, we appreciate you guys. Have a Merry Christmas, and we will be back next time for another edition of the Sources Safe.